Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just talk to this girl. Used to live yet on my street. Whoa. After all these years, you're here. And you remember me. Whoa. She said her old boyfriend packed up and headed back east. But she always knew someday. So we're good to go because we level checked last time. Perfect. And we're hitting the ground running. So I'm here on the tour bus with Chris from Less Than Jake. Yes. This is a funny full circle moment. The very first episode that I recorded for this podcast, it didn't go out first, but the first one that I did was four years ago on the Fireball Tour with Roger, sat in these exact seats. Nice. And now we've got you on the show. It's taken me almost three years. It's come full circle. But here we are. And uh, you won't see this because obviously this is audio, but myself and Chris are in full costume. So you'll just have to imagine what that is <laughs> yeah. and let your imagination run wild. Um, and that leads us into the first talking point, which I wanted to you know, get into, which right. is stage costumes. Now, this is the fourth tour I think that we've done together now. And I wasn't aware of your uh, panache yes. for the stage costume. Quite like myself, you're a man that likes to dress up for the occasion. Um, you recently joined Instagram. You're kind of a bit late to the game but since joining smashing it with the content like the kids like to call it and uh, every day you do an old school picture from the vault and you like myself as well you do these nice long posts that kind of set the scene tell the story i wanted to ask you first of all chris about some of the the proudest costumes and creations and characters from the old school touring days of less than jake well, and then funny stories that you know came with them either fan interactions or you know interactions with other bands who maybe didn't know who you were yeah it man it was crazy because the costumes were bred out of out of boredom you know it was before smartphones and all this stuff that uh, occupy our our hands these days and our and our minds so 
it, it really started. I, I always liked to dress up. It wasn't all the time, but we were out on the road with a band called Skank and Pickle. I know them. Yeah, Cut Flipper. Yeah, and uh, Mike uh, Mike Park was in that band, and we loved loved those guys. And their trombone player Jerry used to do this bit in the band that he would pretend he was Hulk Hogan. He'd rip his shirt off. <laughs> so, uh, long story short, he would go out to a, a thrift store and a secondhand store and get a different shirt every day to rip off his back and i would follow him around on tour to these thrift stores i'm like that's a funny wig that's a funny pair of glasses that's a really bad gaudy gold necklace or watch (laughs) that's a horrible pair of pants and i just started amassing these these costumes and you actually had characters as well didn't you like the the costumes that i wear are pop culture figures that people know you'd invent your own guys and often they'd even have names and backstories like you'd go full method yeah yeah (laughs) no it was uh yeah it was it was ridiculous it was you know there there was times when it was an all-day thing like oh if i had this for this character you know and and i paid attention to detail that was that was the big thing i wasn't gonna half-ass it i wasn't gonna like have the the right pants, the right shirt, the right wig for the time period, but you look down and you got shoes that are current. Exactly, you, because then you know the myth is completely unraveled and right, the character's right. broken. Right. So uh, yeah, un- unlike yourself, these were unknown characters, characters that I invented. A lot of them were were just uh, inspired by living in Florida. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I would see these guys at my little league games. I mean, this is quite a Florida style getup I've got going on right now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not really uh, <laughs> the golf retirement. Yeah, it's not it's not really a Glasgow look. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Florida is one of those places you've got a real range of characters. It's where a lot of people go to retire, isn't it? But then yeah. you've also got the the full on like swamp. Yeah, for lack of a better word, you got redneck, the local right? rednecks. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to offer in Florida. Yeah, a lot to offer. So, yeah, the characters were were just. Um, a lot of them were what I would see on a daily basis growing up in Florida. And so I would take these on stage, and I, I just basically did it at first to kind of get a laugh from the band. You know, they would, they'd be like, you know, what the hell are you doing? I'd be dressed like a baseball player. You know, full, <laughs> you know, makeup under the eyes, hats. Um, God, there were so many costumes. And, and after a while, they started to morph the characters. So this, this pair of pants and that shirt with that wig, well, that was kind of the other guy, but it wasn't. So, the, you know, the characters would like have this weird metamorphosis going on all the time. And what happened in Spain? You posted this recently. There was a Warped Tour show in Pamplona, was it? And yes. there was like uh, some sound problems. So basically you guys were like an hour late going on stage. And yeah. You, you filled the time creatively. So, yeah. So <laughs> Ig- Ignite was there. Um, it was the European Warp Tour. Pennywise was there. A bunch of other bands. Ignite had just finished their set. We were scheduled to go on, and I was dressed in a pretty toned-down outfit at this point. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't anything crazy. And uh, we knew it was going to be a little while, and a little while turned into a half hour, 45 minutes. So I donned what I called my Richard Simmons like fitness guru outfit, like tight, nut-hugging pink shorts, socks pulled up to the knees, really bad shoes. And I would, I would purposely like get shoes three sizes too big, so like clown <laughs> shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was all part of the, <laughs> the, the thing. Uh, terrible gold necklace, um, uh, really bad rings and bracelets. And long story short, um, I basically went out in this bullring and entertained the crowd. And at first, they loved it. They loved it. They were cheering for me. Um, I got on stage. The PA had come back on. They were still working on other other things. Got on stage, and I did like an acapella version of You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. Amazing. They were they were still kind of liking it, but I went on a little too long, and now cups of piss are starting to come up at me. So I went off the stage, and we get it. We get noticed that it's a go now. You guys are on. Our, I get into an empty road case, and our roadie, Mr. Skull at the time, 
push me out and I pop out with my guitar to this road case and everyone's just like, ah, oh. the big reveal, the big, yeah, the big, the big reveal wasn't the greatest reveal. So, um, yeah, they were just born out of, out of boredom. You know, that was the one day and I didn't mention the story cause I ran out of room in Instagram. That was the one, the first time that Fletcher from Pennywise ever laughed at us. We thought, I was like, okay, seal of approval, I right? Think, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we, 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 we broke the, you know, broke the, the the back of Fletcher you know he finally gave in how good's that story in South Africa or wherever it is with him and the uh, the elephant that legendary you know, story I, I don't know that what, what did you hear about that story I heard that he broke into the elephant enclosure and was trying to feed the baby elephant a, a sip of his beer and the murmur elephant obviously in protection flicked him with her trunk and obviously Fletcher's a big dude sent him flying across he smashed into the cage apparently broke all his ribs really <laughs> wanted to go to hospital or cancel the show but everyone was like it's your own stupid fault you're playing the gig so he just had to play this show that's pretty much the story i heard i didn't know it was in south africa though i think dave has the video on his phone because he was there filming it so I, is he coming to the show on friday um if he is i'm gonna ask him to ask see him it. and yes i've never seen it so if he does have it okay i need to see it too fair enough fair <laughs> enough yeah we got the we got the fletcher seal of approval that day and uh, that's that was cool. Who were some of the the biggest Hellraisers that you toured with back in the nineties? Were there any bands that were notorious for their antics? Oh, obviously man. Fletcher, I know um, is. But. Yeah, Fletcher was uh, was one of them. But uh, Guttermouth, uh, he he still is. Mark, yeah, Mark he did slam dunk last year, and he came out at midday. He necked an entire bottle of red wine, and then just proceeded to get butt naked on stage. He, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> With smartphones, it's kind of not a smart move. No, but, but Mark, Mark does. <laughs> he that. doesn't give a fuck. Mark, no, yeah. So, uh, and especially back in the '90s, those guys were out of control. Every one of them. Um, I won't mention what guy in the band, but we were backstage one time, and and he gets out this container. It almost looked like something like your grandma would put like buttons and stuff in for sewing. <laughs> right, right, right. He opens it up and there must've been a thousand pills in there of all different variants, shape sizes. And it was just like, Colors. Oh wow. These guys are, uh, these guys are here to, here to have a party. Uh, pie tasters were nuts. Yeah. Pie tasters. I've were, never seen them live. You know, do they still tour? They still play. Yeah. They just played games on that too long ago, but pie tasters were, Oh man, out of control. What about you guys? Did you have a rep? Um, not really, you know, we, we mostly, when we, we first got a bus, like we would always just kind of hang out there. Yeah. 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 It was like new to us. So we'd always have people on our bus and, and party. We didn't really go, go out too much in, in the early days of the bus, but, uh, yeah, we, we only had a rep because we tried to keep up with, with pie tasters, gutter mouth. Frenzel Rom was another one. The Aussie Australia. band. Yeah. 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 Those guys. Whew. And in trying to keep up, you end up on the floor. Yeah, but you know, but those those three bands had a different kind of resolution about them than most people. You know, they could they would go all night, survive on minimal sleep, and then you'd turn up at the club midday and they're they're already drinking again. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mark was very much on that tip at Slam Dunk, <laughs> as I said, midday every day because they were on first. He'd turn up bottle of red for lunch or breakfast, probably for him. Yeah, smash the show, get naked, pass out. <laughs> onto the next town. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, getting naked in the era of smartphones isn't necessarily the best. One, is it? The best idea. I mean, kind of the the whole idea of being punk now. I mean, you know, you would have come up at that time when punk was still like, a, you know, it was a a dangerous scene. And if you were going out with mohawks and you know, kind of being this kind of confrontational upstart, you'd get probably, you know, not only disapproving looks, but you'd probably get set upon by locals. Right? Did you ever have your ass beat? As a kid for being a punk? Um, yeah, I mean, not really as a kid. It was more like when I got into, into college. Right. But, you know, I never had my ass beat necessarily, but definitely 
you know, well, the band fought its way out of a few a few venues in the early days. So, so yeah, it, it was part of the territory. But we there wasn't really any places to, to play where we were from either. So we were playing redneck bars in North Gainesville mm-hmm. on a Tuesday night. And who's going to turn up there? The locals. And, like, who are these kids with blue hair jumping around? So, you know, some nights didn't end as well as others. What was the Gainesville scene like? Was Against Me popping around the same time as you guys? Were they slightly before? They weren't. Against Me came Were they later. a Gainesville band? Yeah. yeah. Gainesville band, yeah. They, but they're a little, little uh, <coughs> cough, cough, younger than us. So they, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they came around 97, 98. So we started like 92. They weren't there from the beginning when, when, when we had started. But um, the, the scene was, you know, Gainesville's this little, you know, microcosm in Florida. It's this little own little thing and it's a very liberal little college town with like a hundred thousand college kids in north florida and then you go out five miles either way and you're in like the sticks you're in the right. middle of nowhere alligator country alligator country so um there was a ton of places to play i came from three hours south that's where Vinny and i grew up in a place called port charlotte is it you two who started the band yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so um that was three hours south, and it couldn't have been any different. It'd be like going from Scotland to Pittsburgh. Yeah, right. For real. It just was <laughs> such a different... We didn't have any good record stores, no punk record stores. Um, everything was... Um, just breaking for a beverage? Yeah, we had to, we had, we'd have to drive like 30 miles to get a good record store, drive an hour, hour and a half to get to a show. Do you know what, though? I think there's something, maybe I'm just over-romanticizing it with nostalgia, but there's almost a magic in the quest. Like, now all music is just completely accessible at the touch of a button. That element of discovery and working for it mm-hmm. has kind of gone, right? Like, when you're a kid, you save up, you know, X amount of money, and then you get this one record because that's all you can afford, and you play it out, and you know the words inside and uh-huh. out. I feel like that culture with streaming has kind of gone, right? Well, it is gone, but I don't know if it could ever be replicated you know that's what what younger people know now yeah there's younger people like my son's never gonna know her daughter's not gonna know what a cd is mm-hmm. it's gonna look like some relic that you know your grandparents used so um you know technology is what it is it it, it, it isn't the same you know we started i like to call it in the analog era yeah where we, yeah, weren't, yeah. <laughs> we weren't recording anything it was all all to tape um all your mistakes were there um you know getting out I, I've always said I want to make a reality show where you send a band out now, 19-year-old kids, no smartphones, just maps. Yeah. You have to get from here to there. Maps and yeah. payphones. Yeah. I mean, again... You wouldn't find a payphone, though, so you'd you wouldn't, be screwed They're the all bat. gone, aren't they? <laughs> but there's all these stories that people used to just sneak into the promoter's office, make long-distance calls to back home, you know, and they'd get oh, out of town. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened a few times. <laughs> you guys did Warp Tour more than any other band. Is that right? That is true. So uh, let's go in on some Warp Tour stories because that is such, I've never done it, but I imagine it is such a unique and punishing, also well, great, but hardcore grafting experience. Well, right? I can give you the rundown. We did uh, half the tour in 1997. Our then manager had contacted us in the spring, probably around March or April, and said, remember Warp Magazine out of California? I was no. Like, no, oh, oh, exactly. yeah, that's what she was yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm saying you you wouldn't remember. And I'm like, yeah, I know Warp Magazine. It was a big like surf skate culture magazine in Southern California. They had written about the band. Yeah, well, they're partnering. They're doing this thing with Vans, and they want they're doing this tour. This guy Kevin Lyman. All right, and it's a traveling festival, and it's these bands. It was like Lagwagon, Bad Religion, Suicidal Tendencies. It was like sign us up. And we went out for two weeks that summer. Never had heard of it. It, it had been out for two summers, but this is pre social media. You know, we, we were out touring in a van nine months, ten months out of the year. So we were closed off from, you know, a lot of things. Hadn't heard of the Warp Tour. Went out. Wow. Um, 
So that was 97. We did half the tour, and that was East Coast. And then we got offered half the tour on the West Coast in 1998. Um, later that year, we went to New Zealand on New Year's Eve and played Warp Tour there, and then went to Australia, did Warp Tour Australia. So it went international pretty quick. Went inter- Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we came and did the European Warp Tour. Well, excuse me, all of the 99 Warp Tour in the whole U.S., then the European Warp Tour where the bullring incident was mm-hmm. in 99. Um, in 2000, we did four shows that Green Day dropped off the last four in, in Texas. 2001, we did the whole tour. 2003, we did the whole U.S. tour. 2004, we did the 10th anniversary show in Boston. Did the whole tour in 2006. Did the whole tour in 2009. The whole tour in 2011. The whole tour in 2014. Uh, did another England Warp Tour somewhere in there, 13, 14. Um, did the Warp Tour Cruise. That was in 2017. Did the whole thing in 2016, the whole thing in 2018, and we did the two shows this year that they did. Wow. In 2019. We're up to 441 Warped Tour shows. How is your memory so good? I um, noticed this with all your Instagram posts. Like, you remember the date, the city, yeah, it's weird, the whole right? backstory. Yeah, it's it's really useless information. It, only, it all blurs. It only, on it only impresses people once in a while, <laughs> like right now, but it do- doesn't gain me anything monetarily. It's, it's really useless knowledge. <laughs> if I could use it for something else, trust me, I would. <laughs> Is that across the board, though? Are you one of those guys? Like, if you meet someone once, is it kind of instilled in your brain, in the face? Not always, but yeah, I've been I've been pretty good. I was I was lucky as a kid. If I I would always pay attention in classes. I didn't like to study and, and read. I like to listen. And uh, so, did you yeah. go to college? Have you got a degree? No, I don't have a degree. I no? went to college for for two years. So I had what was about the equivalent of what we call an associate's degree. Okay, but I never got the degree. I never never finished. Did it happen for you guys pretty early on in your life? Were you in a touring, you know, professional band? You know, from back what then, age were you when you know you were getting signed and yeah, doing so it for real? I was um, I was eighteen when I moved. Excuse me, four months shy of my eighteenth birth- birthday when I moved to Gainesville in the summer of ninety one. And uh, I had been corresponding with Vinny back home, writing these songs, and we hadn't had a name yet, but we did a demo and. He had sent me the demo and it had less than Jake written on it. I was like, what the hell is that? He's like, well, you know how my mom, when we're practicing at the house, she always like bothers us and you know, comes, knocks on the door and says, hey, the music's bothering the dog, Jake, who's the bulldog. He'd be howling. He didn't like the bass. So we'd always have to stop. So we were less than Jake. I'm like, that's really stupid. <laughs> but we needed a name. And yeah. That's what we called it. And so it's a great name. Yeah. So it's so, a great name. So, I mean, it kind of weirdly suits. I mean, there's certain names that make no sense, uh-huh. but then they just exactly suit the sound, the package. Mm-hmm. I think you're one of those bands. Yeah. So Same thing with real big fish, you know, I mean, that name makes no sense, but it's so perfect for it, them and what they do. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it, it was, it was definitely meant to be, but at the time it was, it wasn't like we all rallied behind this name. It was just a, something to put on the demo tape that we had released. So when you're first out on the road, are you feeling like this is going to be me? I'm in this for the long haul. I want to do this as a job. Were you instantly well, well, no, because enticed it, by the life? No, because it wasn't like that at all. So we did this demo that I was handing out at shows for free in like early 92. And then in June of that year, we got a, a, another bass player. And we always count July 14th of 92 as, as the, the inception of the band because that's when we played our first show. We figured we're, you know, you're a legit band when you play your first show. Yeah. And that was with this other guy, Chris. He played bass. And he was with us till about October, November of, uh, of 92. And things just weren't working out with him. And Vinny and I wanted to go on. We had another batch of songs written. And I had met Roger. Uh, 
around. Was he in a band at that time? What was he, he doing? He wasn't. He was uh, had had been in Gainesville for a little less than than I had because he came. He started the '92 school year. He was a year behind me, and uh, so I had been there a year. And I met him through my roommate. She had met him at a dorm party one night. I heard this guy play guitar. You're, you're looking. You're looking for someone to play guitar. And I'm like, no, we're looking for a bassist. And she's like, well, you know, he should come over and meet him. So she had him come over one night, and I had my guitar in my my room and handed it to him, and he started. I'm like, this guy's great. And then I'm like, can you play bass? He goes, never tried. So he went out and he bought a $50 bass the next day and a little bass amp. And uh, he had actually wired a, a car speaker to make a, to make a, a cabinet for, for the amp. And, uh, and he became the bass player in January of 93. Played our first show with him in March. So we were doing all really like local shows in Florida. It wasn't anything outside of Florida. And we built up a pretty good following in three years. It wasn't until the summer of 95 that we uh, went on our first U.S. tour. Would you credit bands like Rancid, Offspring, Green Day, No Effects, and the success of them in 94, 95 as opening the gate for a lot of that generation that immediately followed on? Well, I mean, yeah. In terms of the way they popularized uh, punk uh, rock. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and they were like, you know, kind of the big ones, but there was a ton of bands that laid the groundwork. You had 80s bands like, you know, the, the Toasters and, and Fishbone that they were out there slogging it out in clubs when I had no idea they were even out there touring. I hadn't heard of the Toasters until I got to college. Again, I was from this little insular town in Florida, you know, and, and when I got to Gainesville, it was like my eyes opened up like, oh, my God. So there's more to the world than what, what was down there. You know, it was very, I don't want to say so much closed. It wasn't closed minded by nature. I was closed minded by my surroundings. Yeah. Environmentally and, 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 closed off. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, a big part of the Less Than Jake sound is obviously the, the trade-off between the vocals of yourself and Roger. Was that an immediate formula that you happened upon and went, this so, is pretty good, this marks us apart, something a bit different? So that would start with him and I listening to you know, our favorite bands or in, and just with two acoustic guitars. We'd sit across from each other. We lived in the same uh, apartment. We'd lived in a McCartney style. Yeah, and we lived in it. We, we, Roger built a loft. So we had the loft up, up top, which had a couch and a TV and, and you know, the bong and whatever else was up there, a record player. And uh, we'd sit up there and jam and we would harmonize. And we didn't even realize we were practicing. We were just playing. Fucking around, yeah. Messing around. Yeah, yeah. And then um, it kind of came to my attention one night. We had some friends over and this one girl, a couple of girls in particular, were like, you guys are like professional singers or something like that. And the way she said it, it was like very innocent, and, but it, it wasn't what I knew what she meant by it. Like she's like she's basically saying you guys are really good, and um, kind of light bulb went off, and I'm like, yeah, we, we there's something here, you know. It was really rough around the edges still, but there was definitely something there. How did your life change when you signed the you know the big record deal? Hello, Rockview in particular is obviously, I guess that's the one where boom, you guys are on a rocket ship to Mars. You know, life didn't really change. Um, you know, we got signed to Capital for a very small deal. It was a hundred thousand uh, dollar six album deal. And it went from there. The next album we got 125,000. The next one we get 150,000. The next one, blah blah blah. You know, unless you had a mega hit, and then mm-hmm. you could probably negotiate to get a little bit more, which, yeah, yeah, which yeah. we didn't have. But um, you know, we did Losing Streak, and it was funny when we put it out. People were like, "Doesn't sound like Pezcore." I mean, Losing Streak is pretty rough if you listen to it. It's rough around the edges. It's amazing that a major label released an album that sounded like that in '95. And I don't mean that to discredit the record, but it's it's a punk it's a punk sounding record. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then, you know, we went and, and made Rockview. We were on the road forever. We wrote a bunch of songs on the road and had the record about half finished. 
went in and, and we were just making another album. There was no really thought of what this could be or what that could be. And then it just kind of, it just kind of happened in, in the States and then immediately following it, it happened here for us. When that record got released here, it went through the roof. And for us, it was what happened in the UK with our band that was kind of like, holy shit, what's going on? It wasn't really anywhere else. It, it, it took a minute. What you mean in terms of like the big festival crowds you're in front of and just the that numbers you're drawing? Just and getting recognized, you know. We got just a, on the street day we to got day. A, yeah, we got a push over here back then. You know, we were on magazine covers, billboards. You know, uh, you're getting your faces plastered in the in the festivals on on posters. Uh, Kerrang! Big Cheese was behind us. BBC was playing us. I mean, it was it was happening here. And we had already been a band for ten years, and it was it was cool to watch it unfold because we were able to appreciate it instead of being and not get swept away in that overnight success kind of thing. Because we knew, you know, like, and it wasn't being self defeatist or anything. Like, I was like, um, unless we have some huge hits and we take that next tier level in your Green Day or or whatever, we're in a pretty good world right here. This is crazy. Enjoy it, you know. Uh, Remember one time getting out at the Manchester. We played the uh, played the uni, and there's like 300 kids surrounding the bus. This is eight in the morning, with all their records, and all I wanted to do was go have a shit. And I look out and I go, "How am I going to get off this bus? I'm not." Full and Beatlemania style, isn't it? It was crazy. How exciting. And how old are you at that point as well? It, that, like well that's that's the thing. I well, this so this wasn't 97, 98. This was when this was happening over here. It was around 2001. So was this the anthem album? No, this would have been pre-anthem. So this would have been Borders and Boundaries. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, this yeah, would have yeah, been yeah. Borders and Boundaries. Right. And it just was like the perfect explosion. Like I said, I'd walk into after parties and all my best friends or metalheads would be playing. Like and, last it, night. It, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, it. you know, it's it's uh, that was crazy because that never happened in the States. So what happened here was, was, was really neat. It was really cool. But in terms of the States, we were just out. And, and the only thing that really changed was more people were turning up to the gigs and we were selling more merchandise. But, you know, we never sold astronomical amount of records or had a, a huge impact in the States. But um, we were just out there doing our thing, doing the Warp Tours, doing the next really good tour with our, our favorite bands and, and friends and just trying to strategically, you know, fly the flag for what, you know, what we wanted to do. And, and the seeds that we sown back then are the reason why we're still doing it now. Well, it's incredible to me that, I mean, how many years are we in now? 25, a little bit longer? 27, yeah. 27 years. You're still packing venues, and people still come to these shows in their drones and still love it. And it's really the live side of things where I think your longevity and your you know, core of the band really exists, isn't it? It's putting on these amazing live shows that people come out time after time after time. Yeah, thanks. And, and love. That, that's, that's really it. You know, it's, and, and, and thank God for that, because you can't... You can't recreate a live show. I mean, yeah, you can sit in your living room and watch YouTube on your on your fifty five inch flat screen, but it's not the same as being at the, at the show. And no, you got to have that smell, that yeah, energy. And, and we we have we have that. We have a fun show, and we have that going for us. And, it's, and we've always been a live band. So um, even though back in the day we we didn't get to the next level record sales wise or all that, we even if we would have sold an astronomical amount of records, there's no guarantee we'd even have this many people still coming, coming to see us. Maybe we'd be like, oh, those are those has-beens that had a couple hits. That's it. <laughs> it's I weird, think sometimes right? the success overshadows the, the longevity and the credibility of a band that's a great example of that is like a Wheatus. 
right? They just had that right. one song. That right. was, and they're a great fucking band. And I saw them play, and the guy, he's so creative and loose on stage, he basically just made up the set as the night unfolded. He'd just get people to scream out songs. And their fan base, like the, the few that were there, these hardcore fans that know everything, and nobody requested Teenage Dirtbag to the end, and then they finished with that. But it's like... That band is kind of seen as a one-hit wonder by you know most people in this country at least. Yeah, and, and sometimes well. it's an unfair tag. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah they, they, the band doesn't deserve it. Like they're they're a really damn good band, you know. So, but yeah, it's the old blessing and the curse. But for us, it's you know we we just kind of uh, what was the thing the the tortoise and the hare. We're just mm-hmm. kind of yeah, it's just riding it out, man. Going along, man. You know. I want to ask you about this. What's up, buddy? How are you? Um. which one Uh, I want to ask you about this for me and I'm not trash talking here because I've spoke to all these guys about it on the podcast that I've done with them in the Orange County scene there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of riffs and there's these dilemmas and dramas do you know what I mean with Monique and Aaron and John and there's all these fallouts and you guys seem to me to be the only band in this kind of scar scene if you want to call it that that hasn't had fallouts with these other people do you think that just because you are separate from that Californian thing? Oh, that yeah. You perhaps we, weren't ingrained in oh, no, that hometown I mean, politics? Yeah, this is for sure. Uh, we were we were never included in that bunch because we weren't part of that scene. You know, we weren't. We got labeled as that a lot. Aren't you from Southern California? Well, that's because all the other bands are from there to play ska and play punk. But, but no, we were from Florida, the opposite coast. Completely different vibe. You know, when we were when we were doing shows, we weren't playing with five, six different ska bands in Florida in 1992. Like we'd be sandwiched between the Pearl Jam tribute and like the Stone Temple Pilots wannabe band or whatever the flavor of the week was. You know, and it was a way different, way different scene. So we never got swept up in that stuff really, really over there. And is it nice then? Do you feel like you do exist kind of in your own little island? Or is that also a lonely place to be sometimes? It, like, do you not have any peers that you see as such? Well, no, it, it, it's both. I mean, there's times when, because we're not part of that, uh, you know, little boys and girls club they have going out in California. And I don't say that disparagingly. It's just we're not from there. So there's been times when, wait a second, why aren't we invited to this festival? Or why are we playing second out of 10 bands when, like, you know probably deserve a little better billing than that and just part of the territory man and you just either you can let it bum you out and ruin your career or just accept it for what it is and, and and move on so yeah we feel it well the other interesting thing is you know obviously you know Vinny's recently left and we'll talk about that in a bit if that's okay sure. but for the large part it's been the same dudes since day one and that's another thing that I think is unique to you guys. Real Big Fish is like kind of always a different band. Goldfinger always a different band. Safe Ferris always a different band. And those guys don't seem to be able to remain friends and in groups together. Whereas you guys, all these years later, you know, and obviously I imagine there's sometimes tensions and fallouts as all bands have. But yeah. it's like, how do you guys keep it running as this kind of unit, as a family, as friends all these years later? What's the, what's the secret we to split, that? We split the money evenly. Is that what it is? That's straight up what Absolutely. it is? Absolutely. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> That's when, what all bands should do. When one guy's living in Beverly Hills and, and the rest of them are living in Compton, you got a real problem. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, because it's always money that that, that messes up bands, in my opinion. Absolutely. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah, Most yeah. Most of the time. So was that always the case from day one? You guys were like, yeah. this is even Stevens, this is a democracy. Yeah. yeah. Good foresight on your part. 
Yeah, we knew that was if we, we. I always say we only made one right decision our whole career, and it was that one: is to, to keep it fair. <laughs> only one. Yeah, that's perhaps being hard on you. Well, no, I mean, what o- were the wrong only, ones? Only one true. I mean, the, the, I think we made a lot of good decisions, but I don't know of them to be true. But right. the one I just said, I'm convinced that that was the right decision was to to do what we did because we're still around with with the same band. You know, Vinny was with us for 26 years, and uh, you know he left last year, and you know it was. Uh, what was his reasons for leaving? He, if you don't mind he getting wants, into that. No, he. It was exactly what he said. He wanted to be home, be a father, and raise his daughter. He has a now eight-year-old daughter, and um, he wanted to be there uh, for his daughter. And he has a lot of other things going on. Is being, he still running the record he's, label? He's still running the record label. Yep. Yeah, he's still um, working behind the scenes for less than Jake. Still doing all the merchandise and social media stuff. And so there's been no fallout fall out there it's just he didn't want to be on the road anymore and obviously he's always written the lyrics is that right that's correct is that still the case or is he stepped back from the songwriting now so we're we're forging ahead because uh, you're working we, on a record at yeah the moment, right? we, we have not been uh been working with him on the record no so um we're all going to be writing lyrics roger myself um the rest of the band and not to take anything away from Vinny. yeah he was the, the the chief lyricist all those years but you know we all wrote lyrics and and fit things in here and there and and uh uh, to to create the songs, so um, there there will be a void there, but it's it's a you know this is a new new time for the band, and we're embracing it, and we're excited, and we think the the, the fans, if you like our band, you're you're just still gonna like the stuff. Well, in terms of not taking anything away from Vinny, does it feel like a new chapter? Obviously, you know you've got Matt, who's been with you forever as well, so he's just you know the, <laughs> yeah, the perfect fit. Does do the live shows feel fresh? Do they feel different? Does the writing feel fresh? Does that feel different? Does it feel almost like a as you say, a new chapter in the band. Yeah, it does. You know, you you, you can't a band remember a band member is never replaceable because, like our fingerprints, each one of us is unique. You take that energy away, it's never going to be the same. You could say, "Oh well, the new drummer is better, the new drummer is this," and and it's just no, the new drummer is just a new drummer, and the new guitar player is a new guitar player. It doesn't really do with ability. It's how you gel. And we, like you said, we've known Matt forever. He's started out selling our T-shirts 17, 18 years ago. And, uh, you know, when we were looking for someone to, you know, take over the drum throne, he was like the perfect person because we had known him all these years. We knew he was a great drummer. And why go out and get some kid to, you know, to come play drums for you and you don't like his personality after after two weeks? It was too perfect, wasn't it? Like, it yeah, just it had was. To have been a drummer, like it was. Like, oh wow, there's a guy right there. So you know, but yeah, it, it is different. It's a different energy. It's a different human. So there's so there's that aspect of it. Matt brings a different energy. The live shows, we've been rejuvenated in a sense because we've you know things got stale with us as we kind of like rested on our laurel laurels. And when Matt came in, he's like, "What if we play this song? What if we play that song?" I was like, really? You want to play that one? Sure, we'll try it. It's maybe a, a track we hadn't played in 15 years. So he brought that kind of sense of fire and urgency back which was great and and working with the new material it's been it's been the same way you know you have to pull from different resources because you don't have someone providing you know providing lyrics so you're you're pulling in a different way for for your songs and and you're collaborating with each other in a different way because because it's not there so it's exciting for us and hopefully like i said we like the songs hopefully the fans like them well, you make a joke of it every night when you play new stuff as you're like, ah, you only want to hear the old stuff. And, you know, I think it's you're very aware of that. And I, th- I guess when you're a band, you have to keep creating. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you're a, a nostalgia tribute band to your own sure. band, right? And so you we, have to keep putting we, out records. We could go out and play nothing after Anthem. Play Hello Rock View, Borders and Boundaries and Anthem, those three records. Nothing before, nothing after. 
and we could do that for the rest of our career for however many years that would be. But that's not the reason we got into a band, you know. So we still like to create and, and, and do songs. And uh, Which new stuff have you been enjoying playing from, I say, the, 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 the latter half of the, the Less Than um, Jake catalog? Because you've been mixing it up almost every night on this tour and yeah. pulling things out and old B-sides. and mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the new song. Uh, it was on our last EP called Things Change. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's kind of got all the elements of, of, of Less Than Jake in it, you know, the ska part the heavy part and both of us singing and so well, that's the other thing with you guys is it's not like you did this one record that was so drastically different you know there's been obviously deviations along uh-huh. the way but it's never like you made that one album they're going oh what have they done here like do you yeah, know what i mean you know, it's, you, like, it's it's like anything you know else. the ingredients you, that you make know, you guys special and unique if you uh give them the same thing oh, it's the same as the last album if you give them something different it's different than the last yeah. album so it's the old damned catch- if you do damned if you don't yeah, it's the old catch 22 what are you going to do but we Again, you, at the end of the day, you have to, you know, write songs for, from your heart, from yourself, which I believe most people that commit to music, they, most people, they do that, you know. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What would you be doing if you weren't doing music? Right screwing now. you on an insurance policy. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you get the two-part plan at forty nine ninety five a month, we can... <laughs> <laughs> with that hat on, hopefully, as well. Yeah. Like, a real hard yeah. hat. Yeah. What? Turned out with a hard hat, but he was naked. <laughs> <laughs> so is music kind of giving you your life? I mean, let's talk about the importance of music and, and punk rock and what that scene and that style of music and, and what yeah. this lifestyle has brought into your life and what yeah, it's giving it, you. it gave me a place to go when I got to college. Because I just had this fire in me. I just wanted to play music. I wanted to eat, breathe, and sleep it. And Gainesville was like the perfect place when I went to, to uni there. It was great. There was a bar in every corner that had music every night of the week. And I immersed myself in it and didn't even realize that by skipping all those classes and going and spending money I didn't have on shows and what have you, that I was educating myself. I was like, oh, what are the, oh, I was, I was watching. Oh, that man's loading in. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, he's checking the microphone. Oh, that's how you do that. I was paying attention without even realizing I was, you know. So by the time we got out, I mean, we were playing around Florida for three, three and a half years. By the time we got out on our first U.S. tour, 
we were about as prepared as you could get. You know, it was like it was on. Yeah, they were all first, but it wasn't. It, they were first in the sense of okay, we've never been to Cincinnati, Ohio, but it's really no different than Daytona Beach, Florida. If you look at it in terms of that, we're in a building and we're going to play music to people. Yeah, that have come here to see come the music here to see. that we do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Bon Jovi tour. Put me in the fucking storm oh, with man. that. So, and how did it come about first? Yeah, of all? that's what I'm going to say. So, in the summer of 2000, we get this phone call. Our agent, CAA at the time, represented Bon Jovi. And they were putting this tour together and threw our name in the hat. But our name was thrown in the hat with like Sugar Ray, Eve Six, Smash Mouth, Dishwalla, all these like radio things or Marcy Playground that were happening at the time. And all those bands turned down the Bon Jovi tour that fall. Bon Jovi was kind of looked on as passe by 2000. They hadn't released a record in the States in like five years. And people didn't realize the importance of what were now soccer moms, the value and the money that these people had, <laughs> soccer moms and dads. Well, it's why country's so huge. And it's how, that same sort of scene, isn't it? You, you know, it seemed like it was so far removed. Oh, my God, it was 14 years ago that 1986 Bon Jovi was around. But think of four, if I think about 14 years back now, it's like anthem days. You know, it's it's weird how time time changes as you get older. So it was it was still pretty fresh in people's minds of how big that band was. But anyways, all these bands denied the tour. They didn't want to do it. We get this tour. In between July of us saying, yes, we'll do this tour in November, July or August, VH1 in America, which was now the new MTV for people that were in their 30s then. Because people in their 30s weren't watching the all the reality shows and the crappy rap videos or whatever they're playing on MTV. MTV Cribs and all that. Yeah. All that crap, you know. So, And I like rap, by the way. I didn't mean rap is all crap. But just the terrible cheese that MTV was spewing out so the 30 year olds wanted somewhere to go VH1 was, was giving you that they were playing Bon Jovi videos they picked up the Bon Jovi song It's My Life the song went through the roof at Radio in America okay and was that released around that time it period? was released I, yeah I didn't realize so that the production the, on it's so convincingly the, old school it kind of sounds like it's from the early so opinion. in those three months the song and the album blew up it was right. Crush and we had booked this tour, confirmed it. It was sold out fifteen and 20,000 hockey and basketball arenas every night across the states. Well, across the East Coast. We did, we did three weeks. Um, and it was just us. We'd go on from 7.30 to 8 p.m. And then there'd be a half-hour changeover and Bon Jovi would play from 8.30 to 10.30 every night. And what were the shows like? It was hilarious, crowd man. reaction. So and... we came, we'd, we'd come out. The doors were only open for a half hour. So doors are open at 7.00. And we play at 7.30 to 8. And about, so doors would be open for an hour and a half when Bon Jovi would finally hit the stage. And everyone would be there by then. But when we go on, it'd be like guys with their ties half like off their neck. And like be reading like the, the Wall Street Journal like newspaper. And I'm not kidding you. In the front row. Like be reading the paper while we were on. And so they didn't realize what kind of band they were getting. So you could imagine the guy in between songs what we were saying to him. And it was just Mr. Sculpey down beating people with like like uh, rubber hammers and stuff that we had. We had these blow up hammers. He would like smack people would run around. Um, and then we'd just tear the, we were tearing the crowd apart every night. It'd be like, holy shit, man, Lita Ford's here. And it'd be some blonde woman. And, and we would just do in every cliche we would, but it worked, you know, like, they, the, they re received it well. Oh, they, yeah, they received it well. And then like Tico Torres, the, the drummer from Bon Jovi, it was the second day of tour. We were, and so we went from Fort Lauderdale day off then Boston so we had we had to we had to fly. Our our bus lagged behind us. 
to, to make to the, make it to the next show. So we played. I don't know why that happened, but they started in Fort Lauderdale, then it went immediately to Boston. We were in the Northeast the rest of the time. But we get to Boston. I'm walking the hallways, and I see him coming towards me. He goes, "Hey, you killed me the other night when you said, hey, we're less than, or no, not less. Well, hey, we're a winger from Florida.'" <laughs> he goes, "Winger." Ha! I thought it was hilarious, you know. So he got the joke that we weren't making fun of them. We were making fun of the the whole scene, you know, because. John Bon Jovi, especially, he didn't want to be attached to that whole thing at all, because that was a lot of record label stuff. Where like here, you know, you're the pretty boy, grow the hair long, you're the give sex. us a ballad, yeah, 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 yeah give yeah. us a ballad, the whole deal, you know. And they treated you well, like did the production side of it. I mean, kind of. We were put in a broom closet every day. Okay, remember Heather Locklear, who was married to Richie Sambor at the time. She had her own dressing room, and we were in literally like a, a broom closet. Uh, of course, that's his wife. What, are they, they going to give the band a dressing room and put her in a broom closet? No. <laughs> so, we got two bottles of water a night. Uh, for the whole band. Oh, excuse me. Two bottles of wine a night, a case of water, and towels backstage. No food, no And beer. you're crushing these big arena shows, and then that's the reality yeah. of the, yeah. the catering side. Yeah, that was it. Well, the, <laughs> but the catering was great. Like The food backstage okay. was great. And we got fed. We got fed like three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, we got one kiosk in the arena to sell merchandise, which was usually up on like the third tier back by the fucking handicap shitter. And you did know? you sell much? Did you sell anything? <laughs> we, we, you, we went in over any new fans? $215 here, $400 there, $300 there. It was nothing, yeah. nothing that was life changing, but we did the tour for the press. Yeah, yeah, of know? course. And they paid us pretty good. It was five grand a night they gave us. To be nice. <laughs> which in, in that time was, was really good money. Uh, Still good money. You've obviously done a you know a ton of tours. Is there one tour that stands out as just this legendary moment in the band's career in your life when all the elements were just exactly right? Oh, it was well, just you know fucking hell, hell fire on wheels like us guttermouth descendants ninety seven. Yeah, that's the one that, for you. Is it that was the first one? Or it was like this is over the top, man. It was like every night we could just there were people turning up to see us. You know, yeah, they were there for Descendants, but they were turning, you know, we, we, we were realizing we were having a lot of fans, but we were also in front of people that had never maybe heard of us and definitely never seen us before. So when we came back, so we did Descendants in, in uh, May of 97 and then went on the Warp Tour that summer. So in the fall, when we came back to the Warp Tour and the Descendants, the places we had played in, in those areas, our audience like tri- doubled and tripled in most areas. It was like within six months. That's... That's how that kind of touring works so well. We were playing in front of people that already liked this kind of music. It was the it was the perfect storm. And obviously, Descendants would have been one of your childhood hero bands, right? So to be out there with them, absolutely, it was um, dreams coming true. Yeah, it was it was unreal. And and again, there was a, a mystique to them because they had been gone for ten years. You know, yeah, they they had splintered off and done and done all, but Milo hadn't been with them in almost ten years. You know. Eight or nine years. So is this right after the Everything Sucks record? Is it? Yeah, this is. Yeah, right. That was re- released in '96, and then we did the we did the tour in '97 with them. So they they were still supporting that record. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that album. I I kind of controversially think that's their best album, production wise, song wise. Yeah, I I would have to go there too. That's yeah. My, that's my favorite favorite record. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the '80s stuff have a have a charm and a and a thing about them, and and I love those songs. But but Everything Sucks is is amazing. My man. Yeah. Chris, uh, pleasure talking to you. I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you, were, you to another interview. You were easy. Yeah? You were easy. It's good to be easy. Do you enjoy it? I loved it. Um, it's a good kind of uh, moment to have you finally on the show. It's yes. a pleasure. Uh, I want to say thank you I for bringing me out you. on tour all the time. And uh, you're probably sick of the sight of me by this stage. But uh, I just, I'm grateful for the way you guys have treated me since day one. And I'm grateful for you. And, and I want to do a station ID for you right now. Go on. Yep. Hey, this is Chris Lesson Jake, and you were listening to Matt 
Stocks. DJ Matt Stocks Podcast. 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 Yes. Can I come out tonight and kick some balloons? I was, <laughs> as long as they're not mine. <laughs> as long as they're not mine. And I swear it's the last time. And I swear it's my last try. And we'll walk in circles around this whole block. Walk on the cracks on the same old sidewalks. And we'll talk about leaving town. Yeah, we'll talk about leaving. I swear it's the last time. And I swear it's my last try. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.